turn to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, it's a, probably one of those scriptures that many of you can quote. You'll notice at the top of your notes I'm saying it's a devotional. And it really is more of a devotional from a bunch of different areas uh, from our trip, uh, from our, our Creekside mission. And we're going to celebrate and do a little commissioning tonight. Uh, you know what this is, don't you? Flashlight. See the light? You're probably hard to see out here because we can't see anything up there and barely see over here. But this is a flashlight. It gives light. It, it overcomes darkness. This here, salt shaker. We all use these. Some of you too much. If you do, cut back. But these are two very common, ordinary things that every one of us use during the course of our day. A little lamp, a little light can change a whole room from dark. Jesus uses these two ordinary change agents to say, this is what you are. Once you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And if you don't believe me, well, let's see, what, let's read how Jesus said it. Matthew chapter 5 verse 13 says this. You are the salt of the earth, but, big but, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. Well, verse 14, we're going to really unpack this more out of Ephesians in chapter 5 next week, but he says, you are the light of the world. Now, a city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. But no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. And in the same way, you, you that are the light of the world, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Who should have good works? Hello! Uh, all of us, yeah. Who, who should have good works? Yeah, okay. How many shouldn't? Is anybody here that's just out checking out? I, I really don't want good works. It's not going to work for me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, a couple of clowns back there. But listen, God calls, and we talked about this in Ephesians 2, God calls all of us to good works. Now, this is important to understand because God is a sender. God sends you out. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And this first thing he says is, after he kind of gives this Beatitudes breakdown, is he says, I, I want you to go now, and I want you to be salt, and I want you to be light. And the way that you're going to do good works is because you bring light to the dark areas, and you bring salt to these decayed and areas that are dying, and you bring a preservative element to it. That's what I'm sending you out to do. At the very heart of our God is he is a sender. He sent Abraham to his people to build a nation for God. He sent Moses to his people and that nation, why? To lead them out of bondage. He sent the prophets to his people. What did they do? Do they stoned, they rejected, they put him down. But what did God do in his great fatherly heart? He continued to send them and send them and sent them because he loved his people. And of course the ultimate sending was Jesus Christ himself. Emmanuel, God with us. So we see at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he says, I'm going to send you out to be salt and light. And then guess what happens right after his resurrection? Remember in the upper room after he comes in and he sneaks up on the disciples, scares them. They think he's a, they, 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 they're, they're just fearful. Now what is his first words? Peace. 
be unto you. Which they would probably need. But, after he said that, what does he say a little bit later? He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, would you just turn to that person next to you and remind them that God's sending them? Tell them, God's sending you. Even you. That's oh, no. what they've gone. Even the no, guys who have that. jobs. But the heart of God is He is a sender. What I want you to see from this passage, what the Lord is communicating to us is He says, you are salt and light. You know what that equals? You are an influencer. Jesus uses these metaphors of salt and light to his followers to say, wherever you go, you're going to take away darkness because you're going to bring light. You're going to begin to go into this decaying culture and you're going to begin to give it life and, and be able to preserve it. You're going to be intentional. You're going to be influential to make a difference. Notice he doesn't say, try to become salt of the earth. Boy, I sure hope you can become a light somewhere. No, he says you already are. And it's kind of even ties back into Ephesians 4 last week. What God has done in us, all we simply get to do is choose to live it out. So many of us make this thing so hard. Because some of us are waiting for God to do it when he says, no, go do it. See, and if you believe this, loved ones, you will be a different kind of Christ follower. Now, when I say different kind, I'm not talking Adam's family kind, mysterious and spooky, off together ooky, the Adam's family kind. I'm talking about you're just going to be in a, you're going to be in a community and people are going to go, what's different about that person? Why do they talk differently? Why do they act differently? Why do they treat people differently? Well, it's because we begin to understand, Jesus said, post-resurrection, just as the Father sent me, I'm going to send you. Remember Ephesians 2. It says what we were saved, we were saved to do what? Hello? We were saved to do? Hello? I'm not leaving until I get a response on this one. Have we forgotten? Good works, good deeds, yeah. You don't get saved by those, do you? No. You get saved to do them. It becomes the manifestation of what God is doing in and through you. Now, Matthew 5 here, he says, I want you to do good works to give glory to your Father. Now, it's interesting, because he says you're going to be salt and light, and these good deeds are going to come forth. So your Father in heaven can be praised. But in Matthew 6, a chapter later, he makes this statement, and he says, do not do your good deeds before men, so as to be seen by them. Now, that's kind of, that's the Bible for you, isn't it? Kind of confusing. What's the difference? Well, the, in the Greek language, there's two words for, for good. There's one means in good quality. It should bring a good quality of works. Another adds the idea to it is not only are those deeds good, but they add this element of beauty and grace to it. And that's the word that Jesus is using here. And he's saying, I want you to do something good and beautiful for God that will reflect his character. That everywhere you go, everything you do, there just has this beautifying God-divine element to it. Now, <clears throat> what kind of good deeds do you think would bring praise to our Father in heaven? Give me some. What do you think? What are some good deeds that are going to bring praise and bring glory and weight to our Father in heaven that people can see here on earth? What's that? 
help the needy. Yeah, somebody said poor? Orphans, widows. Orphans, widows. A homeless? Yeah, sure. What else? Anything else? Give. Yeah, give. Give of yourself. Give of your resources to help others. Yeah. Anything else? Praying for your enemies. Praying for your enemies. There you go. That's a good one. Spreading his word. Spreading his word. Okay. Loving each other. All of those can, are, are good deeds. Character development. Where people begin to see the character of Christ within you. Building strong, good, and godly relationships. Now, where do we start? Right here. Exactly. Where does God first send us? God sends us right here. Right where you live. Right where I live in this community. First place God sends us to do is work. Let me read Acts 1.8 for you. Follow along there in your notes. It says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus spoke these words to his disciples right before he leaves earth. He's saying, listen, the Holy Spirit, that when I leave is going to come, it's going to indwell you, and it's going to empower you, to be my witnesses, not my prosecutor, not my debater, but the one who speaks of me. Where did they start? Well, they're in Jerusalem, and he says, I want you to start in Jerusalem, then I want you to go to Judea, and then to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem was the city where they were stationed, where they were lived, and that's where they were to start. Then he says, I want you to go to Judea, which would have been the surrounding area around Jerusalem, and then to Samaria, which would have been the nearest foreign region to those people. And then from there he says, I want you to go to the ends of the earth. Or to quote Buzz Lightyear, to infinity and beyond. Go! Keep going. They were to take the message of Jesus into these kind of concentric circles. Ultimately reaching the end of the earth. Listen, loved ones, that's why we have a relationship with Jesus Christ today. Because those very disciples followed Jesus' command to go. And that's why we have to continually follow this command as well. So if we translate that into our geography today, Jesus is saying, I want you to start in Martinez, right where you are. Then to the region surrounding Martinez, the East Bay. And then I want you to move into California. Begin to infiltrate California. And then to Mexico, which would be our nearest foreign region that we would go to. I think we've been doing that. But where do we start? Well, first of all, right here. This is where God sends us. He wants us to show and to tell of his life. He wants us to engage our culture and our community, not simply inhabit it or try and escape from it and get into a cubbyhole Christianity where we don't have any kind of connection or we're not moving in the, in the life and flow of our community. That's what we're talking about in Ephesians, being the everyday church everywhere. Now, as you know, I returned, Trina and I returned recently from uh, our trip. And uh, just some of the things that, that, uh, that I sense God speak to me as we, while we were gone, um, I don't know if you know much about the church throughout Europe, but it's probably, you know, depending on which poll or which research you read, the church probably 25% or less of Europe as a whole attend church. Let me show you some pictures here. I'm going to uh, just kind of walk you through some 
we probably won't be able to see real well, but if you want to see, we probably put them online or something. But uh, see a first picture here. Uh, this was when we were in Edinburgh, our first day there, and uh, we walked down this uh, this great street in Edinburgh. This is heading up to the uh, Edinburgh Castle, which is just a monster, and beautiful, incredible thing. Uh, this was a church. You know what people do in these beautiful edifices? They go sit and they look around. They gawk and they go, ooh. It's really cool because we got, uh, I loved it. We got tons of pictures of cathedrals and churches. Uh, next, next one here, and uh, this is another church we went into. It's beautiful. This is also in kind of the heart of, of Edinburgh. Um, this is, uh, now we're in a place called Fort Williams in Scotland, and this is Sunday. Trina's walking to this, see the cathedral there in the background. And uh, she's, it's raining, and then she's walking up to the door, and it's still raining, and we're getting ready to go in. And then you're going to see this little Gaelic sign right here, kind of leading into a church. It's beautiful. It's right in the town square. That little uh, insignia there, I actually, that's my tattoo that I wanted to show off, but I won't. Um, <laughs> but it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's the, the sign of eternity. It's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's so much spirituality in both of these places. But we went into the church, and you'll see it here. Um, beautiful, incredible structure and cathedral. Now, I know this is going to be hard to believe, but there's about 30 people in there, and all but probably one of them are older than me. My hair was as white as theirs, but, but they're all... <laughs> Older, And we went into this, this beautiful um, Anglican church, but there's only 30 people in it, and they're all way older. They're probably just incredibly older than I am. I'll show you the next one here, and this is me receiving communion. I'm over on the far left, and it was just kind of a... powerful time just to, to do that in, in, in that environment. Um, I have to tell you that I, I think one of my bucket lists, I want to be able to preach in a church like that someday. I've got to receive communion. And, but it was a really powerful and precious, precious time. But it's very sad that so many of those churches, it's generally the old, old people that go. And they're very, very small. As you enter into the communities like this, you'll see, uh, this was a little church in uh, uh, um, Scotland that we walked by, and uh, it was during service. We actually didn't go that day, but there was probably only about two or three cars in the parking lot. And again, another beautiful building. And what you'll see as you go through all of these areas, as you go into town, this is when we were in Inverness. Um, Every town you went into, almost the first thing you always saw were the church steeples. And as you go through the town, you always saw them. And then we ended up, we left Scotland and we ended up in Dublin. I ran into one of my relatives. And um, 
this little leprechaun here was a fun little guy and he was kind of in the Dublin Square and so we got to hang with him. Uh, before I left, we found out that my roots really go deep into uh, my, my, fa my family that, uh, as far as we got, come out of Dublin when they came over to uh, Ellis Island. You see the next one here, and uh, another one of our friends was greeting us in, uh, in Dublin, Mickey Mouse, and uh, with an Irish visage to him. So had a lot of fun there in Dublin. See another church here. This here is St. Patrick's Cathedral. Uh, a lot of us have heard of St. Patrick. They believe, I think it was in the 14th century, that he started this church, had the first uh, convert there. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful building. I want you to notice the beauty here. Around St. Patrick's is this, is this beautiful park. And as I was going around there, I thought, I had two thoughts. I really believe that in that day, people focused on beautiful cathedrals and building parks around it because of the beauty of God. Because of everything that God was to them, they wanted to show that out to the people around them. And I was thinking when I, when I first came to this church, um, with, with, well, I'll say this respectfully, but it was pretty run down. And the grounds were were overrun in a lot of places and I really felt like the first thing we had to do was to kind of beautify um, the, the, the grounds and we did that we spent a number of years getting it to where it is today but I kind of felt like the Lord speak to me and said you know for the last three years you really haven't focused on the beauty of the exterior even though you're focusing on the interior and you may think that's a small thing but I realized that, see, people don't want to come to a place that doesn't have some of that beauty. And one of the things that we're going to begin to do here um, is just kind of re-beautify and rework some things around here to bring that back so that it really displays even more of the glory of God. Now remember, I'm not saying that that's our focus. Our focus is always you and you and you and you and you. Because what has to be beautiful is what God's doing on the inside. But what a lot of churches do is they kind of get really super spiritual and they begin to focus on the beauty of the inside and then they forget that people do. And when they drive by a place and they go, wow, nobody cares about that place. Doesn't look good. So we're going to kind of ramp that up. I felt like the Lord said, you know, it's time to get back to some of those initial things that we were doing here in the beginning. I'll show you another one here. This is the park that goes around uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin. Just a really beautiful place. Uh, here's a picture of a, of a, of a church in uh, Trim, Ireland. Beautiful place we went into, the same church. You see, you probably can't see very well, but you got there's a pulpit up there. And uh, I mounted that thing. And like I said, that's my, one of my bucket lists. I want to preach from one of these places someday. Don't ever complain about tables or chairs or whatever. You, I don't know if you can see those, but they're just like wood benches and slats, and they have a little padding, like when you kneel down to kneel down and pray. And there's no pads, there's no nothing. They're just straight boards and uh, not real comfortable pews. And again, here's another picture of the pulpit. Here's Trina coming out of the confessional. See, I received, I received communion. And she had to go to confession. But uh, we actually took a picture of that. And um, I really love the history. We're not making fun of anything there because 
Uh, I do believe in confession, but I really believe our confession goes this way first because of what Jesus has done. And then secondly, our confession can go this way because the scripture does talk about confessing your sins to one another so that you may be healed, which is part of what we're going to, that's not the focal point of Band of Brothers, but we want to have these places and soul sisters where we can share life, be safe, and be open. So you see these, uh, let me see, here's another one. See, you go through a town, what do you see? One of the first things you almost always see entering a town is a steeple. Here's another one when we were uh, in uh, Connemara, which was in Ireland. Another church, this is in Dublin. They have a lot of churches in, in downtown Dublin. Uh, this is another uh, cathedral in Trim. Now this is what's kind of disturbing. This is a beautiful edifice. This is right in the heart of Dublin. This used to be a cathedral. Well, it still is a cathedral, but it's no longer a church cathedral. You know what it is? It now houses the Dublin Tourism. It's the Dublin Tourism Center. So you go in there and deal with tourism, and you go buy a bunch of trinkets and things. It's amazing that in the center of the town, it's no longer a church. It's no longer a place for people to worship God. And as he looked at all these beautiful edifices, all these incredible cathedrals, I couldn't help but think, because there's so many prognosticators that are saying that America right now today is heading the way of Europe. I mean, think of someone, you know, what happens in 20 years if we're not about being sent and doing the work of Christ? What could this building be? Could it be a school? Could it be torn down and somebody put more apartments or condos or redevelopment for homes here? See, going over there, you really see that while they have all these beautiful cathedrals, there's not a lot of life in them. I read a quote from my USA Today from a couple of years ago. It says, religion takes a back seat in Western Europe, Dublin, Ireland. Brian Kenny, 39, says, I don't go to church and I don't know one person who does. He's studying psychotherapy and counseling at Dublin Business School. He said, 15 years ago, I didn't know one person who didn't go to church. Friends, listen, we are in the highest stakes games of town. Uh, e eternity is totally and completely in the balance. And I, and I want to remind you of this tonight because we cannot forget that. We can't forget that our comings, our goings are important, that God's called us to a mission and a ministry. This is a critical element. It's this, that you and me, we, we've got to be there. We've got to realize our calling that we've been sent. To make the most of your influence, you're going to have to be different, but you also have to be there. You have to be engaged. You have to be in contact with the people so you can hope to have some influence. How did God change the world? Well, he became a man in the form of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity who came and he lived among us. What did he say? God, Emmanuel, God with us. How does God change us? Because he comes and he abides in us. It's called the Emmanuel Principle. It's totally different. The Emmanuel principle is just the opposite of the fortress mentality that so many churches live with today. Let's kind of get in our little group and have fun and let's not worry about anybody else while they go straight to hell. Do not pass go. 
See, loved ones, every person that is here today, whether you want to agree with it or not, because you're simply by virtue of hearing this, you are called. And God says, I want to send you. Jesus said in John 17, the word to be in the world, but not of the world. We're going to talk about that when we get back to Ephesians 5. Now, second thing is, is not only does God send us here, but God sends us into the world. John 17, 18 says, Jesus in his last prayer, he says, Father, as you've sent me into the world, so now I've sent them into the world. That's you and me. All of us, you know, have a worldview. We all have this view of the world, which kind of informs the way we live in the world, the decisions we make, the attitudes that we hold toward the rest of the world. More than ever, uh, this, uh, I see this world as this fascinating, kind of this just wonderful, fascinating place where you can go and you can learn and you can see and you can experience. I've never been, uh, other than Nicaragua and Hawaii and Mexico, I've never been outside the country. And I know Hawaii is not outside the country, so don't call me. But it feels like it, you know, when you travel five, mi- five hours. It's full of just magnificent monuments, historical places, cultural attractions, coffee houses, fabulous food. It's like a theme park just waiting to be discovered. It's an amazing world that we live in. But there's also a darker worldview that is very different, but it's also true. This is the view that many of us see today. We see the headlines of Aurora, Colorado and the murders that took place there. We see the headlines of the tsunamis and the devastation that comes from that, the massive floods in the Philippines and China, the severe famines in northern Kenya, events that, that took or take thousands of lives and leave thousands of people homeless. There's violence, there's war, there's war in Iraq, Afghanistan. There's nuclear weapon threats in North Korea. You hear about it all the time. And if you add to all of this the perils of the ethnic and religious hatred and violence that the world deals with, the blight of human trafficking, the pandemic diseases of AIDS and malaria, and worst of all, 26,575 children under the age of five die every day of preventable causes. Why do they die? Because they're poor. That's almost 10 million children every year. One every three seconds. Wow, this is Saturday fun. It can be overwhelming, can it? I don't even like reading this kind of stuff. Because I just feel so insignificant. What in the world can I do? And I think that's one of the plights, one of the, one of the, one of the plays of the enemy on us is to make us go, well, forget it. We can't do anything. And this is way too big. But just as God came into our world in the incarnate Christ, he sends us into the world to continue his work. We can't do everything, loved ones. But listen, look at me. We can do something. The most common mistake we can make is to listen to the enemy around us, the people who speak to us, and to believe we have nothing of significance to offer. We're not rich enough, we're not smart enough, skilled enough, spirits enough to make a difference in this huge area of global problems and issues. But, what can Christ do with a fully surrendered life in a fully surrendered church? What could he do? 
If we just put a little more horsepower to it, a little more manpower, a little more thought, a little more creativity, a little more resource, could we make a difference in our world, in our community? I think we can. And we're going to be talking about some of those possibilities in the season ahead. But I want to tell you another mission of our church. It's not only to be a mission and, and to reach the people here, to be part of whatever we can do out there in the world, but it's also God's called us to send up pastors and to plant churches. Jesus said in Matthew 10:8, freely you have received, freely give. Uh, the Sunday before I left, July 8th, I didn't speak, but in introducing Ian to speak, I, I, I said a few things. I told you about how while I was heading down in conference in, in, uh, toward the end of June, I just sensed this strong call to ramp up our leadership development as well as our call to church planting. I always don't, and I never like it when God speaks to me like that and then quickly does something. You ever notice that? It never happened to you? I go, great, okay, God, give me you know, the rest of the summer to kind of get through it and go have a little vacation and a little fun, and then I'll get on it. That didn't happen that way. But I was sitting in conference, and our regional director, I told you, Gary Emery, challenged the churches to work together to plant churches and to build stronger churches. I told Gary a day later, with all sincerity of heart, I said, Gary, I don't see it happening. I mean, I love your vision. I'm on board. You can count on me, but I don't see it happening. I said, why, why are people going to do it now when they haven't done it for 20 years? Each month, 1,700 pastors leave the ministry. Every year, 3,000 churches close. Our denomination, Open Bible, is losing the race of raising up good young leaders to fill in for the aging pastors that are retired, or excuse me, should. Fortunately, Pastor Wayne Cordero is now overseeing and leading New Hope Christian College, and he's going to make a big, he's already made a splash, now he's going to begin to make a big difference in developing leaders. But New Hope can't keep up with it. Our churches have got to step up to the plate. And I told you this on July 8th. I said, we are poised and positioned as few other churches in our denomination to make a difference in a long-term way. I told you again, at my age and as long as I've been around, my focus isn't simply to get a bigger church, although I never want to quit growing, but the focus right now isn't just to get bigger so we can have this big, nice little place and everybody knows that Creekside's big. My goal is to get bigger and to reach the lost so we can send out more people. Why is that? Well, because God's a sender. See, God doesn't call us to hoard so that everything will be hoarded unto us, but he calls us to send. A church's greatest strength, loved ones, is not its seating capacity. It's going to always be its sending capacity. There's a big difference between being prominent and being significant. And I think I've got hopefully 12 to 15 years. My goal is that Creekside will continually grow 
as a significant church. Whether anybody knows about us or what we're doing, I really am not concerned about that. I really never have been. I kind of just come to Martinez and said, God, just let me carve out a little niche with, I don't know, a couple hundred people and let's see what we can do. Now, my, my vision's a lot bigger because now it's, I want to keep growing, but I want to be ascending and an influencing church. We need new churches. People ask me this. Well, why start churches? Aren't there enough churches around? Let's keep all of our friends here. Did you know that on Sunday, and I'm going to shoot high on this, probably Martinez proper, less than 20% go to church? Any kind of church? I think it's generous because I've done some research of all the churches around here. I know how many go to churches in the way I did four years ago, and it wasn't very many. So let's just say that's about 80% of our community that doesn't go to church on Sunday morning. Do you realize that even if every church filled their, their sanctuary five or six times, it still wouldn't make very much of a dent in our community? We've got to have new churches, loved ones, to reach more people. We need new churches to reach different people. <laughs> when Pastor George left for here, he told everybody, and I didn't quite get it. I mean, I got it at the time, but I thought it was kind of funny, almost cute, but not really. But uh, <laughs> he told you all, well, I'm going to do church differently in Creekside. <coughs> okay, good. So hopefully people that want church different than Creekside and love Pastor George will go there. I can almost guarantee you, Pastor Christopher is going to do church different than we do. And some people are going to go, wow, that moves and speaks to me. And I'm going to get to say, go be a blessing to Pastor Christopher. Why? Because we've got to be ascending church. See, our focus isn't to be the biggest church in the community. Our focus isn't to be the best church in the community. Our focus is always going to be to be the best church for our community. And can I tell you something that I realized after having this conversation and thought with God back in June and July? Now I realize we're going to have to work to be the best church for other communities. Because it brings us to an important point tonight. And this becomes some practical application now for Creekside. Because you and this place is all about Jesus and his kingdom, not ours. We're conduits of grace because of the grace that we've received. And we are learning we can never outgive the greatest giver. On the notes up here, I want you to see, I want you to, it's on your notes as well. Everybody would read this and probably post it on Facebook and go, wow, that's great. I love it. Right on, Pastor. Until it affects us. Listen to this. Healthy things grow, growing things change underscore change. Change challenges us. But it challenges us to trust God. Trust leads to obedience. And obedience makes us healthy. Healthy things grow. Why? Because growing things change. If I said, if you're not changing and you're not growing, you're probably dying and everybody go, Amen! And most people believe that until it comes to church. They don't want to see change. 
tell you the truth, I'd rather not see it either. But I want to be healthy. I want to grow. I want to be challenged. I want to trust God. And I want to be a sinner.